How are we? You doing well? Valley Campus, East Campus, West Campus, Halifax. So glad that you are with us today. We're going to do something a little different this week. Uh, you're probably all a little con- you know, confused as to why I'm already on the stage. Usually we worship for a while and then uh, we bring us a word. And this, this weekend we're going to do something different. We're going we're gonna to kind of have worship as the main course. Is that all right? So I'm going to just bring a little word of encouragement today, and then we're going to just spend a few minutes at the end of our service uh, just applying what I want to talk to you about today as we continue our series, The Worry War. I want to read a scripture to you, uh, and we're going to jump right in. Are you with me? You awake? Everybody via video today? You with me? You awake? Feeling good? All right. My assignment is just simple. It's to encourage you and equip you. Uh, to access what I believe God already wants to give you. Uh, Psalm 100 says this. It's the Psalm of David. He says, this is a Psalm for giving grateful praise. He says in verse one, shout for joy, all the earth. Can we shout for joy? Can we shout for joy? Come on, all campuses, shout for joy. Shout for joy. Yeah. Amen. Thanks, Ben. You made that a lot easier, didn't they? Shout for joy, all the earth. Worship the Lord with stoic cynicism. No. What's it say? Worship the Lord with gladness. With gladness. Come before Him with power ballads. No. With joyful songs. No, the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. Isn't that good news? And we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So enter his gates, say it out loud, with? Amen. And his courts with? Yeah, not bad. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is, say it, good. And his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. If it's all generations, that's our generation. Can I get an amen? Amen. He's faithful to us. Father, thank you today that this is true. Thankful, thank you, Lord, that you are faithful to all generations. And thank you that you have a word for us today. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, refine the way we think, transform how we think, Lord, and that it would transform how we live. God, I pray for the ones who are here today and this weekend, uh, specifically dealing with the flood and all that's happening here in New Brunswick. God, we pray that uh, even in the midst of this flood of water, we ask God, and we're not trying to be cliche, we ask for just a flood of your presence, a flood of provision, a flood of peace, a flood of the knowledge of the glory of God to wash over this whole land. I pray that in Jesus' name. And I ask for each person, maybe who's here tonight, that they're not, maybe not going through the flood, but maybe there's some other issue. Lord, I pray that we, by the time we leave this place, we would feel our, our minds, our heads have been lifted, our hearts have been encouraged, and God, you've given strength in our weary, weary legs. So we pray this in Jesus' mighty name and at all of our campuses. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. I am glad you're here today. Before you sit down, why don't you take a minute and say hello to three or four or five people. Give uh, two handshakes, three high fives, and one hug. Go ahead. Go ahead. That guitar case.
Amen. Hey, across all of our campuses, can we take a minute and show some honor and appreciation to our musicians who lead us so well every week? We're thankful for them. Y'all don't even know you're spoiled rotten. Maybe some of you grew up in a different church. Can you testify? We're spoiled rotten. Amen. That's, that's, no, that's no shame on Gladys who plays the organ at your home church, whatever. Uh, we're just blessed here at King's Church, and I'm thankful for these guys that uh, lead us so well every week. Hey, I'm going to jump right in. We have been for the last five weeks now, can you believe it, uh, in this adventure, this series called The Worry War, where we've been looking at what does the Bible say about how we are to deal with the stresses and pressures of this life. We all have them. We all have to deal with it. And so we want to ask the question of the Word of God. What does the Word have to say about dealing with stress and pressure and worry and anxiety and all of those things? And week by week, we've been looking at how the gospel of Jesus, the grace of God in Christ Jesus, through the truth of His Word, actually gives us the armor and the equipment, uh, not just to survive uh, stress and pressures in this life, but to actually live victorious, be more than conquerors. And so week by week, we've been looking at this and and, uh, talking about how we come back against fear and anxiety, uh, talking about what you do when you've lost your joy. Last last weekend, we got to to the heart of the matter, and that is this idea of shame, and that if you can let God uproot your shame, shame will uproot your anxiety. And so we've kind of week by week been looking at this topic, Uh, but today I want to do one thing. I want to talk about your most powerful weapon uh, for you to use in the war on worry. I want to talk about the most powerful weapon for us as individuals. This isn't something that God does. This isn't something that the pastor does for you. This is something that we do, and this is something God has given us to do, that when we do it, it actually gives us great, great victory Uh, over worry and anxiety. I want to talk to you today about this weapon. Uh, To do that, I want to look at one passage of Scripture. Again, I'm not going to be as long as usual, but I want to look at one passage of Scripture to kind of get a window into what I want to talk about today. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 16. And this is the story of a man named Paul. Paul was the, the, the person who planted a bunch of churches all throughout the known world at the time when, uh, in the first century, him and this guy named Silas are, are evangelizing what is now modern-day Greece. And we find that there in Greece, we've got some folks already coming up the aisle. What awesome volunteers we have. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll put one in your hand. All of our locations, if you want a Bible, just slip your hand up. We'll get one to you. You can follow along. But Paul and Silas have been journeying through Greece, and they have been building churches and uh, evangelizing and testifying to the gospel of God's grace. And we find that throughout the book of Acts, and and, and at this point in chapter 16, we find that the gospel has this, this, this strange way of uprooting old systems and provoking old powers. And uh, if you ever read the book of Acts, it's not smooth sailing for the church. In fact, it's anything but. As they, it, the, the deeper they dive into proclaiming the good news about Jesus, more and more things seem to flare up and this battle ensues. And so we find in chapter 16, Paul and Silas had incited an entire city to basically turn against them because they totally infiltrated this city. They corrupted the economy because when, when there, before there was this kind of vibrant idol worship, now they're proclaiming the gospel and saying there is no other gods but Jesus, and so people aren't buying idols anymore, and so the economy is affected by it, and all kinds of things are happening, and we find that this city just turns on Paul and Silas, and all of a sudden they are surrounded and find themselves in a hardship. You ever notice how the hardest situations and seasons in your life, they come out of nowhere? 
They almost just flare up, like, like the big ones. That it was like one phone call and all of a sudden you're trying to figure out how you're going to do treatment. Or it's like one weather system and now you're, 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 you're filling sandbags and you're trying to keep floodwaters out of your basement. Like it's amazing how fast things can flare up. And this is what happens with Paul and Silas. And it says in verse 22, look what happens. It says, a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. So now they're facing this angry mob that are out for blood. It says it quickly formed, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. Like, this is getting serious. And so it says they were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they did not escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon, or which is the deepest, darkest place of the prison, and clamped their feet into stocks. So let's just get a picture of this. Paul and Silas are just going about their business, just doing their thing, and then all of a sudden they find themselves in front of an angry mob. The angry mob turns on them. The whole city turns on them. The city officials or the powers that be turn on them, and they are in the midst of the war. And doesn't that war not just threaten them, but they are stripped and beaten with rods And then they are thrown not just into jail, like into the cushy white-collar jail. They are in the depths of a dungeon. Like the the Bible goes out of the way. Luke, who's writing this, goes out of the way to let you know that they're in the inner dungeon. And in their context, that was like this basically a hole in the ground. They would have been probably waist-deep or at least knee-deep in sewage. And their feet would have been locked up in stocks. So their feet were stuck and they would have been chained with their hands above their heads. So that's the picture that Paul and Silas are in. Now, if there was ever a time to worry, this is it, is it not? Like, like, isn't that how it goes sometimes? Like the most difficult seasons of your life, like the real tough ones, they leave you in a moment where you basically feel like I have no other options. I am penned in. I am locked in. I have nothing at my disposal. I'm stuck here and I don't know what's going to happen next. That is what you think Paul and Silas would be going through at this time. You would think this is the time that they're trying to think about their funeral arrangements or how this is all going to end. They're probably thinking about mama at home, not going to go home for Christmas or whatever that is. They're thinking of all the thoughts that compound our worry and anxiety. That's what you think they would be doing. But you find they have an entirely different response to when their life gets this kind of thrown into this prison place. When their lives got thrown into the deep, dark dungeon, when they were walled in and chained up, you ever felt walled in and chained up? Doesn't fear do that to you? Doesn't anxiety do that to you? You can't escape it. You're locked in. You're, 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 you're bound to your, your feet are bound and you're surrounded and you can't see an escape. There's no light coming in. When, when Paul and Silas found themselves in this situation, their response was very different from what you or I might be prone to do. Watch what happens next. It says they were severely beaten and then they were thrown into prison and the jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. Do you know there's a jailer, a spiritual jailer that is trying to make sure you don't escape in this life? There is a jailer, the jailer is ordered to make sure they don't escape so the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet and now here, watch this. Verse 25, everyone say, around midnight. midnight. I didn't believe you, East Campus. Say it again, around midnight. All right, around midnight, we don't know how long they were in there, but this, we, can, we can presume this had been a long day. It's midnight, so, so somehow in this day, they found themselves beaten, stripped, uh, 
facing an angry mob, imprisoned, and now here they are around midnight, and here's what we find Paul and Silas doing. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. They were praying and singing hymns to God, and Luke wants you to note this, and the other prisoners were listening. So we find they're not coiled up in the fetal position. They aren't crying. They aren't worrying. They aren't biting their nails. They couldn't if they wanted to because they were kind of chained up. But nonetheless, we, all of the stuff that normally accompanies anxiety and normally accompanies great seasons of stress and difficulty and loss and depression and despair and pain and all the stuff that we go through, all of the normal correlating reactions that go to or go with it, we find Paul and Silas decide this is a great time to kick into just as I am. Like, we're just going to start singing praises. And Luke wants you to know, these guys aren't mumbling under their breath. They're not praying prayers in their minds. They're not saying, dear Jesus, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. That's not what this is. It says they were praying and singing hymns. That comes from one word in the Greek, the word hymneo, and it's the same thing. It's actually the word for praise. They were praising God, and, and Luke wants you to know that the people around them could hear them. So they were doing something that was garnering attention from people all around them. They were actually singing out loud, praising God in the depths of that dungeon. And that is what they chose to do in their deepest, darkest moment, which normally would lead someone to great fear, anxiety, and worry. They chose to combat that with the weapon of worship. Your greatest weapon, my greatest weapon as a child of God. We've talked about this over the weeks. We've talked about how, how Jesus has actually conquered all of our great enemies and how God has spoken a word to us and spoken a word over us that can actually uproot the power of shame over our lives. But I'll tell you what, those things aren't going to stop certain things from happening in your life. And there are situations where God actually wants to put a weapon in your hand and that weapon is worship. Your greatest weapon in the war on worry, it's not praying Hail Marys. Prayer is powerful. We've talked about that. It's not being stoic or being super duper strong. Your greatest weapon in the war on worry is learning how to praise God in all circumstances. And Paul and Silas understood this. They understood that when you find yourself in the worry war, worship is your weapon. When you find yourself, when it's at work or, or, you know what, you're driving home and the wife calls and says, we're taking on water. Where? In the boat? No, in our house. When that happens, your weapon is worship. When you lose your job and you don't know how you're going to pay the bills, your weapon is worship. When you get the diagnosis from the doctor, your weapon is worship. When she says, I want a divorce, your weapon is worship. Worship is the weapon God has given us to access his power and give us victory in the war on worry. Worship. Paul and Silas start praising God. Praise is the procedure. Instead of worrying, we have to learn to worship. Now, I want to talk for a second about what praise is. Praise is... Go, praise goes with worship. You've got to understand that. But praise isn't the same thing necessarily as worship. I want to I help clarify this. Worship has to do with your heart. 
Worship is something that you could be doing and no one could know that. You could be worshiping God right there in your seat just by dialogue with God in your heart and your mind. Worship has to do with your heart. You can worship God by taking out the trash. You can worship God by helping your neighbor stack sandbags. You can worship God by doing the right thing. You can worship God by paying your taxes to Caesar because God says render to Caesar what is Caesar's. You can worship God by a variety of things. Praise is different from worship. Worship has to do with your heart. Praise has to do with your body. Praise is physical. Praise is tangible. Praise is audible. Praise is not something you can fake. Praise is not quiet. Praise is not unnoticed. Praise is audible. It's loud. It's observable. You can see it. It's even humbling. Praise is something that you can see and hear. Praise is physical. It's not just about your heart. It's about what you do with your body. It's actually the overflow of your heart into your body. It's tangible. Praise is loud. Look at this scripture. This this is probably the best definition in the whole Bible on praise. Hebrews 13 says this. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. A sacrifice of praise. Why does the writer say a sacrifice of praise? Why is praise sacrificial? Because you invest something in it. It costs you something. You engage it. Let us offer a sacrifice of praise to God. And then he defines it. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledges his name. So praise is the fruit of our lips. I'll say it like this. Praise is worship given a voice. Praise is worship demonstrated. Praise is worship given a voice. It's the fruit of your lips. It's the overflow of the act of worship. You note that the, 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 the Luke in Acts says that the others could hear them praising. That's praise. It's the fruit. It's the, it's the proof. It's the overflow of worship. Praise is tangible. Praise is expressive. Praise makes your body move. Praise makes your hands move. Praise makes your lips move. You have to express something, invest something for it to be praised. That's why it's a sacrifice. Now, praise looks different for all different people. Now, I don't want you to get into, well, I grew up Catholic and I grew up Anglican and we praise like this and we praise like, no. Praise looks like different for different people. It's going to look different for someone in a wheelchair as it's going to look different for somebody who's like super athletic. The point is praise is your body with whatever you have expressing itself to God. Uh, I, I love this video. I think we have it queued up. I love this video. This guy knows what praise looks like. Do we have the video? Check it out. Man, look at this dude over here praising God, man. Hey, what's up? What's up? Hey, let me highlight at you, my man. We have the video. Put it on the screen. The book of Revelation. You heard that new Kurt Franklin? Verses 16 You heard that new Kurt Franklin? Praise. Praise moves. I'm not going to try to do that. 
I tried to do some of his moves in my office, and uh, I just chose to not try that. But, but for him, that guy can move. That guy can dance. Some of y'all, you don't need to try that. You need to find what praise looks like for you. But I'll tell you something. It's okay to look dumb. In fact, true praise actually overcomes the opinion of what someone else around you actually thinks about you. True praise is undignified. True praise looks embarrassing. True praise looks like a man who will lift their hands and cry. True praise looks like a woman who doesn't care. She'll spin around or he'll spin around. It's whatever you can do to edify God with your body. That's what praise is. The the Bible, listen, if the psalmist attended some of our churches, he would get kicked out. Like, look at, look at how the Psalms talk about praise. Like Psalm 100, I, I read it earlier. Make a joyful noise, all the earth. Come into his presence with singing. Psalm 117 says, praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, praise the Lord. Psalm 150, look at this. Like if this person came to our church, some of y'all look at him funny. Look at this. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. That's a little loud. (laughs) Praise him with the lute and the harp. You can deal with that, right? Yeah, a little harp praise. No, he's not letting you off the hook. Look, praise him with the tambourine. (laughs) You can leave your tambourine at home, but bring that spirit, right? Like bring that spirit. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals, drums. It's audible. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. You see that? It's in there twice. If you think that the devil put drums in church, read your Bible. (laughs) Let everything that has breath, say it out loud. Let everything that has breath. That's it. Yes, it's it's loud. It's it's audible. It's got energy. It's got passion. It's got strength. That's what praise is. I'll just at risk of offending. I don't care. God wants you to hear this. Some of you grew up in traditions that taught you that this is worship. You know what? I don't know what's going on your heart. You might be worshiping God in your own way, but that's not praise. Praise is tangible. You can't fake it. You can't hide it. Praise. Praise is tangible. Paul and Silas start praising in the midst of the battle. Notice they were locked up. So they probably weren't clapping. They weren't doing that thing that that guy was doing. But with what they had, with where they were, they utilized it to worship God. That's what praise is. They start praising God in the midst of the battle. Now, let's ask this question. Why? Why? What did they know about praise? What did they know? Why did they start praising God? Why was that their reaction? What were they they thinking? Were they just really super spiritual? Or did they know something maybe we don't know about what praise does and what worship, real worship does when we do it? I got three observations. Number one, if you're writing notes, write this down. Why praise? First... When I'm at my lowest, worship brings me highest. When I'm at my lowest, praise and worship, it actually brings me the highest. When you begin to praise God, something amazing happens. 
No matter what the environment, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the situation, no matter what the day you had, no matter what, when you praise God, here's what happens. It lifts you up. When you start elevating God, simultaneously God lifts you up. Not, not physically. I've not seen someone levitate yet. It might have happened. I don't know. But, but spiritually and emotionally and intellectually, God lifts you up out of whatever you're in. That's what happens when you start to praise God. Worship lifts me up regardless of the circumstance. That's why it's so crucial to learn the weapon of worship because when you're locked in and when you're chained up and you're in the middle of the battle, in the middle of the war on worry, you need to learn to worship because when you know how to worship, that means you can never be locked up. That means no matter what situation you are in, God can actually lift me up out of it. Do you know that God commands that we worship him? God actually commands our praise in the Bible. There's over 8,000 references to us having to worship God or, or, or being made to worship. There's over 250 explicit commands for us, God's people, to praise God. 250 times he explicitly says, you praise me. You need to praise me. They're commandments. And here's the deal, though. Oftentimes, and if you're like me and you hear that, you'll, you'll hear that from a, why does God want our praise? Like, what does he need from us? And you'll hear that like God needs something from us, like God needs our praise. But if you read your Bible and you, you, you get this picture of who God is, you find out that God is all-sufficient. And being all-sufficient means what? It means I don't need anything. I was good before you got here. I'll be good when you're gone. I don't need your praise. When God commands us to praise him, it is not for his benefit. You understand that? We gotta shift that out of our thinking. Sometimes you come into church and you hear you hear the, the worship pastor say, Okay, let's give God praise, or you hear the pastor say, Lift up a shout of praise, and you hear that as, as though God is calling you to praise him. And in, in the one case he is, but it's not the reason why you think it is. God does not command you to praise him for his benefit, he commands you to praise him for your benefit. Because when you do praise him, that's what takes you up. It absolutely begins to elevate you. Here's a question. What if praise wasn't some great obligation? What if praise is your greatest opportunity? What if when you come into the house of God, worshiping him is not some great obligation or some hurdle to cover or to get past? What if worshiping God and praising God was your greatest opportunity to encounter him? Worship takes you up. It gives you a new perspective. When you start to worship, it's incredible. So many times in my life when I've been just down in the depths of my own despair or down in, I was, I was sad or lethargic or hurt or upset or betrayed or whatever emotion you want to put there. I cannot tell you how many times I've come into a house of worship and started to worship God and God elevates me up out of that. My spirit is not bound in that place. And what happens is as you begin to magnify God, you minimize your problems and you start to get a different perspective on things. That's what Paul was talking about in Romans 12. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, perspective, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. There it is again. This, we're not talking about this is just how I worship. It's offer your body as a sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now watch what happens. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. Don't conform to the pattern of whatever season you're in. Don't conform to the pattern of your depression or your despair or your addiction or your anxiety. Don't conform to it. Instead, be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind 
And then you will be able to test and approve that God's will and his, God's will and his good and pleasing perfect will. What, what is the connection there? The connection is as you offer your body as a living sacrifice, you, you, you place your perspective on God and he begins to transform how you think and transform how you see things. All of a sudden, the things that seem so big in God's presence aren't as big anymore. The things that seem so glorious and so important when you start worshiping God, their luster kind of wanes. You start to change how you think and then when you change how you think, you change how you see this world. That's how you know God's will, he says. It's through offering your body as a living sacrifice. That's how you know. Some, isn't the first question for us as believers when we go through hardship, you know, God, God, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Maybe you'd know if you worshiped him. Maybe if you learned worship, he would, he would actually share that perspective with you and say, oh, I see why that happened. I understand your wisdom. He's saying you will know and be able to approve God's will. See, praise is the path to elevation. Praise is the highway to God's presence. It's the pavement to the presence of God when you praise. That's what the Bible talks about. Look at James 4.10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will what? Yeah, he'll, he'll lift you up when you humble yourselves. Some of you, you don't ever experience that because why? You won't humble yourself. You think too much about what the person next to you will think if I do this. You won't be lifted up. You're going to stay in your space. 1 Peter 5.6, humble yourselves. There it is again. God's not letting off the hook on that one. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and at the right time, he will what? He'll lift you up. He'll lift you up in honor. Psalm 100, enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. That's how you get there. See, for some of you, you're wondering how to experience God. You're wondering, some of you are like searching God and trying to find God. Here's how you find him. Start worshiping him. You'll find him. Guarantee. Some of you want to experience God, you want to experience his presence, you humble yourself and start calling on his name, I guarantee you in that moment you will experience a God you never knew. That's what praise does. What would change in you, what would change in you if you were quick to praise God in all things? Like even in the, in the prison cell for, for Paul and Silas or whatever your prison is right now, what would change? Like how would you deal with disappointment if you, if you praised God in it? Like what, what next time you, something doesn't go your way and you're disappointed and immediately you start praising God and say, God, I thank you that you're above this. God, I thank you that you're a God of appointments, not disappointments. I thank you, God, that every door closes, another one open, that you, de you destined my path. What changes if in that moment your reaction is, oh, crap. <laughs> I'm, I'm judging myself here too. Like that's my, I am the ultimate sulk, like sulker, <laughs> Right? But what happens if we access that weapon and say, I, I will not. I am a child of God and he has ordained my path and everything, every, like God is causing all things to come together for my good. And so that obviously was not for my good. And he's got something better for me. What happens if you start praising God in those moments, in the challenges, with the job you don't like, on your way to work? You don't like your boss, or you don't like your dead-end job. What, what happens if you start worshiping God and saying, God, thank you for, for giving me a job that I can pay the bills. Lord, thank you that I don't go anywhere haphazardly. Thank you, God, that I'm on mission. Thank you, God, that you give me every place I set my foot. Lord, thank you for my pimply-faced little boss who shouldn't have got that job over me. I thank you for him anyway. I pray you bless him, Lord. What happens 
if you start worshiping God in those moments. I guarantee your mind changes, your spirit's uplifted. That's the power of praise. Setbacks, if you have a setback, again, like, God, I thank you, Lord, that there is no such thing as a setback in your kingdom. I give you glory that you're setting me up for something better. Lord, I thank you that when the hedge is pruned, it brings more fruitfulness. What happens if you learn how to worship God in everything? It is your greatest weapon. It changes how you feel. It changes how you think. Instead of worrying, we have to learn to worship. This is what, this is what Mary understood. Mary, the mother of Jesus, in her, in her greatest moment of fear, when she found out she's going to like, everything's going to get upturned on its head. What does she do? Luke 146, my soul magnifies my problems. No, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit, What? rejoices in God, my Savior. Does that mean that her hardship were gone? Does that mean that her circumstances changed? No, but her spirit rejoices in God, who is my salvation. Worship, when I'm at my lowest, has the power to bring me highest. It pulls me up out of it. Paul and Silas knew, yeah, I'm in stocks, I'm in chains, I've been beaten, I'm standing in dark sewage, I can't see any light, but I'll tell you what, nothing can keep me here. When I worship God, it lifts me up. Number two, write this down. When I'm alone and isolated, why worship? When I'm alone and isolated, worship brings God near. Worship doesn't only take your mind and spirit up, but get this, it literally, now I'm speaking literally, it invites the presence of God into your space. This is where it gets huge, and this is where it gets more than just you know, in your mind or in how you feel, this, this is literally, this changes things. When you worship God, it doesn't just lift you up, but the Bible tells us that God's presence comes down. That we actually begin to experience God in the room, in the waiting room, in the emergency ward, in the oncology ward, in the job hunt. When we worship God, it doesn't just take us up. It actually brings God's presence into the car, into the marriage, into whatever it is that we're dealing with. When you worship God, it invites God in. The minute you start to praise, God just simply responds. It's what he does. He's not, there's no mystery. It's not rocket science. He just responds. He cannot and he will not resist the one who praises him. What an opportunity. God won't say no. If you really worship him and you really praise him, you really humble yourself before the Lord, he will not only lift you up, but the Bible tells us that God will come and dwell with you. Look what happens for Paul and Silas. It says in verse 25 again, around midnight, Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns, are praising God, and other prisoners were listening. And then it says this, suddenly, everyone say suddenly. Suddenly, just as fast as this all flared up, watch what happens next. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. Now, now what caused that? Were, were, were they on the fault line or something? Like, what, what, what caused that? No, the presence of God entered the room. That's what this is talking about. When you praise God, things start shifting in the atmosphere. And there's a reason for that. Because God's presence comes. And when God's presence comes, anything is possible. An earthquake happens, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. I love that it includes that, because some of you are convinced there are things that are foundational in your family line, things that are foundational in your thinking. You think that addiction is foundational? Praise has the power to invite God in, and it can actually uproot those foundations. You see this every time. If, you, if we had time to do a deep dive Bible study, I wish we did. 
But every time you look through your Bible, praise brings the presence of God. You see it in 2 Chronicles 7 when they consecrate the temple. Solomon praises God and the fire falls down. Behind praise, God comes. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there's a fourth person in the fire behind their testimony to say, you know what, I know my God can spare me and even if he doesn't, we will praise him. They praise God and what happens? God's presence in the fiery furnace with them every single time. Psalm 22, this has been on my mind and this is kind of what prompted this message Look what it says. God inhabits the praises of his people. That is not some catchphrase that you just need to have on your coffee mug. Think about that promise. God inhabits, he indwells your praise. God, he indwells your praise. That is an amazing opportunity. James 4, 7, look what James says. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God. And what's it say? And he will come near to you. How do we come near to God? Praise. Humble yourself and open your mouth and praise. Every time. I have seen it so many times. That's who we are as a church. Some of you have been checking out our church and you've been coming and you come in the room. You come in at East or West or Halifax and you feel something. And you start to cry and you don't know why. You know what that is? It's the presence of God in our space. And you know why that's happening? It's not because I'm special or you're special or we're doing something unique. We know that when we praise God, he comes. And so what we want to be as a community is a people of praise. Why? Because when we're a people of praise, God inhabits it. I've seen it. I've seen the presence come time and time again in our services. He comes every single time we meet. And, and you know, God is everywhere. You know, his, his, his omnipresence, the Bible talks about, how God is everywhere. But you know what? His manifest presence is different. That God can show up in different ways. That there, I don't know, there, you can be in some services where there's a weight and a glory. And it's like God just went, yes, my people. You know what does that? You know what God can't resist? People who praise him. That's what he's after. He's not after people who have their theology buttoned up nice and tight, although that's important. He's not after people who, who are, you know what, they're great servants, although that's super important. He's after, like what God will not resist is praise. He just won't resist it. And he comes every single time. So here's the hard truth, and here's an open invitation. If God inhabits the praises of his people, then the degree of your experience of God is directly tied to your praise. Some of you are wondering, I don't ever experience God. Do you ever praise? To the degree that you learn how to praise God, there's a direct correlation. To the degree your experience of God is directly tied to your degree of your expression of praise. Flat out. And here's a fact. Fact. The people who I have witnessed in my life who walk in the most power, the most abundance, the most provision, the most peace, the most Christ-likeness, the most joy, the people who, who you meet, if you ever had the privilege to meet someone that just like God is all over them, here is the one thing that they all do. They are all worshipers. All of them. They're, they're people who praise. I have never in my whole life, all the people that I look up to the most in the kingdom of God, all the people are like, I want to be like that person, all the people who walk in power and who signs and wonders follow and who have great wisdom and who, who walk in the prosperity and provision of God, those people, they're all worshipers. All of them. 
Because God will not resist it. If you want more, more of God in your life, here it is. He inhabits the praises of his people. It's not rocket science. If you want to experience more of God in your life, humble yourself and start to praise him and you'll experience him. He's not, she's not playing tricks on you. He's not hiding from you. It's right behind your praise. Power and presence of God is connected to praise. Maybe the most powerful example of that in the whole Bible is David. Truly, on that thought, David was a man of God and he was a mighty man. But you know what the secret, the secret sauce was? It was the fact that he was a person of praise. He was passionate about God. He wasn't afraid to be broken. Look, some of you, like, let me speak to the men. God is looking for godly men who will teach their community and teach their kids and teach their spouses what it looks like to be broken. What it looks like to humble yourself. Look, I want my kids, I want my kids to not know that that the praise is some mystery because they never saw their dad do it. I want them to see their dad lift his hands. I want them to see a dad who understands that what the world calls weakness, the king calls strength. And when I shed a tear before God, that's the most powerful thing in the kingdom. I want them to see it. And some of you men, you are locking up this community. You're locking up your own life. You're locking up your own marriages. You're locking up your own household because you are too proud to humble yourself before the Lord. Look what it says, verse 25, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening, and suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations, and now here's the byproduct. God shows up, now watch what happens. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. What an amazing story. Paul and Silas start praising God. God's presence will not and cannot resist it. And where God's presence is, where his spirit is, there is freedom. So chains start falling off. Foundations are shaking. Doors are flinging open because God's presence is there. So here's my, here's my final thought. And Ben, you can come back now. Um, <laughs> give me like two more minutes, but come soon. Uh, I got six minutes and 25 seconds. I'm going to use them all. When I'm locked up, number three, write this down if you're writing notes, and then we're going to praise God. When I'm locked up and locked in, worship breaks me through. Worship breaks me through. Here's a biblical principle. Here's a principle for your life. Praise always precedes victory. Praise always precedes breakthrough. Praise always precedes, precedes a move of God. You can't find one great revival in human history. You can't read about one great move of God throughout your entire Bible unless you find first it was preceded by somebody who knew how to praise him. Every single time, every great breakthrough is preceded by praise. Praise precedes a move of God. Joshua chapter 5, uh, we, we, the children of Israel have been barricaded and blocked out of the promised land for 40 years wandering in the wilderness. You know what changed things? There was a day Joshua said, consecrate yourselves, we're going to worship, and then the priests are going to lead us in worship all the way to that barrier, and when we get up to that barrier called the River Jordan, we're going to worship all the way in faith, and when we do, the waters part, and that's what happened in the, in the Old Testament. The, it, it was praise that broke through the Jordan River and allowed the Israelites to occupy the promise. It was praise. It was praise for Jesus. When It was praise 
praised for the demoniac in the Gospels. The guy's filled with a legion of demons, 6,000 demons. It was praise that changed things. He fell at his feet and said, my Lord, my God, and Jesus set him free. Praise preceded his freedom. Praise sets us free. Praise breaks down walls. Praise gives us victory. That's what you find in Joshua chapter 7. The big giant Jericho with huge fortified walls. How did God get his people to overcome that city? Through ingenuity? Technology? Weaponry? Well, yes, a different type of weapon. He said, circle the city in faith for seven days, and on the seventh day, circle it seven times, and on the seventh time, blow your horns, shout your praise, make a joyful noise, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And they, they did that. The walls came down, and they took the city. Every single time in your Bible, when you see a great move of God, it's preceded by great praise. Paul and Silas were literally set free because they've chose to praise God in the midst of their circumstance. Here, I don't know how long it took, but at some point while they were praising God that night, around midnight it says, God came and everything changed. Praise is the key to victory. Praise is the key to blessing. Praise is the key to promotion. Praise is the key that unlocks the prison that we find ourselves in. Praise is the thing that breaks the chains of addiction. It breaks bondage. Praise uproots foundations. It knocks the doorposts back. Praise is that thing that allows God to move into real space and real time. If you want to experience God, you have got to learn how to praise. And we will be a church that are bold in praise. Why? God has spoken over our church. God has spoken. I have a vision in my heart that God is going to do great things here, that he's going to move in power, that we're going to see signs and wonders, that we're going to walk in peace and life and abundance and freedom. I believe that's in our destiny. I believe God wants that for us. And the way we're going to access that is by being a people who know how to humble themselves and cry out to God and give him praise. Because when we do that, he comes. Every single time. The degree of our praise to God is the depth of our experience with God. Let me say that again. That's important. The degree of our praise to God is the depth of our experience with God. Say it differently. If you want to experience God deeply and powerfully in your life, you have got to learn how to praise him with all that you have. There is a direct correlation. If God inhabits our praises, God spoke this to me a couple months ago, just out of nowhere, and it's been rattling in my mind and my spirit for months. If I want more of God, he's not holding that back from me. It's on me to give him more of myself. And as I learn to give him more of myself, he gives me more of himself. How much God habitation in my life is being held back because I'm not willing to humble myself and worship him. Today, it is time for some of you to swallow your pride, open your mouth, lift up your hands. Some of you got rhythm. You can start moving your feet and give God praise. One, because he's worthy. Listen, 
There is coming a day where you won't be able to decide to give God praise. It won't be an act of faith and it won't please God because you won't be doing it in faith. There's a, the Bible says there's a day coming where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Whether you chose to or not, you're gonna say, yep, Jesus is Lord. But what moves God into your life and into your, into your experience is when you choose through faith to humble yourself and say, I worship you, God, in spite of my circumstances. I give you praise even though there's water lapping against my house. I give you praise even though I'm still going through that oncology treatment. I give you praise even though I don't see the things I thought I'd see yet. I still worship you. God will not resist that. Victory is on the other side of your praise. Let me just leave this. I'm going to pray and then we're going to, then we're going to worship God together. Do not leave this place until we're done worshiping God together. Some of you came today locked in a prison. But it's not the prison you think it is. It's not a prison of addiction. It's not a prison of despair. It's not a prison of depression or anxiety or worry. It's a prison of your pride. And you have the key to unlock it. And it's called humbling yourself and praising God. The only prison that a blood-bought son or daughter of God can find themselves in is the, is the prison of pride because God will not override your will. But when we learn to humble ourselves, unlock ourselves, give God praise, He lifts us up, He inhabits our praises, and praise proceeds breakthrough. At all of our locations, let's stand together and I'm gonna pray and then we are gonna praise God and I believe something's gonna shift if you'll just take that step and humble yourselves and learn how to worship. Just take your next step. Don't look at the person around you. Don't, don't follow their lead. What does it look like? What does the fruit of your lips look like? What does a sacrifice of praise look like? Just do that. Paul and Silas did what they could. Their hands were locked, their legs were locked, but they chose to use their voice. Maybe some of you have laryngitis. Use what you got, clap your hands, lift your hands. Maybe some of you, you have physical disabilities. Open your mouth, use what you got to give God praise. That's what, that's what praise looks like. Father, thank you today. We just wanna declare that you're worthy. And Lord, we just received this word. I believe it's on your heart and you're calling us deeper. And God, the way we access that is by humbling ourselves and giving you praise. And so Father, thank you for this weapon called worship. And Lord, I pray for every person right now who's in a prison, they're in that situation of difficulty. Lord, I pray as we worship together today, Lord, I pray that as they exalt your name and they edify you and magnify you, that their problems will be minimized, their perspective will be changed, that their spirits will be uplifted. Father, you're the lifter of our heads. You set us high upon the rock. I pray that you would do that today. Lord, I pray that you inhabit the praises of, of your people in this place and time. Lord, at the Valley Campus right now as we worship you, come Holy Spirit. We want to experience you as we worship you at the East Campus, West Campus, right there in Bayside or at Seaside in those buildings. Come right now, Jesus, in your name would you come. And Father, we pray for impossible things to be done in your name. Lord, would old, broken, dusty foundations be lifted up in Jesus' name as we worship you? Would chains fall off as we worship you? Lord, would we be set free as, you were, as we worship you? Lord, would you raise up a church that knows how to praise you? We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The onus is for you. The reward is for you. Who forgives all our iniquity, who heals all our diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, 
who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like eagles. Let's worship him together. Come on, let's give him praise.